everybody. Welcome to God is Not a Theory with Ken Fish. I'm your host, Grant Pemberton. And with me today is someone that you all know and love. The Reverend Ken Fish is joining me today. And I've got some questions for him. Uh, I have some questions that people have asked me. And, uh, and so really, you know, Ken has lived a pretty amazing life and has done a lot of things uh, with a lot of people, ministers uh, around the world, and he's got some pretty cool stories. And so today, we just wanted to pick his brain a bit and say, Ken, welcome, and thanks for spending time with us, and, and we want to hear some cool stories. We want to hear some testimonies. We want to hear the things uh, that, that maybe only comes after, like, day three of hanging out, <laughs> and, uh, and then they sort of start to, start to come out. And so I've, I've heard some of these, but I know I haven't as well, so I'm excited. Um, so you, you've, you've worked with John Wimber, you've worked with, um, I mean, everybody pretty much since John Wimber, uh, who's, who's been around. And so I know you've got some cool stories. You've seen some cool things. Uh, so thanks for joining us. And what does that make you think of when we ask you, can you tell us some, some really cool stories? You know, um, once upon a time, I heard Bob Jones say of Paul Kane that uh, Paul had forgotten more than Bob ever knew. And you know, whenever people put me on the spot and they say, you know, tell us some stories. I mean, I, I have stories and, and some come to mind, but there's always in the back of my mind, what if I'm not actually thinking of the most amazing top wow kind of stories? Because, you know, sometimes you do actually forget things. And I, I realized this recently when I was, working on the manuscript of my uh, soon to be submitted book called A Modern Day Diary of Signs and Wonders. And I was going over the manuscript with my editor and I realized I'd totally forgotten about that event. I'd completely forgotten that that occurred in that country or that city. And you, you wouldn't think that you would ever forget some of this stuff, but you actually do. And so, um, you know, when you put me on the spot and you're like, you know, tell me some stories. I, I go, okay, I've got some, but are these actually the very best, you know, that have ever, that have ever been seen? And I don't know if they are, they're just, they're just really great stories because, you know, they show the power of God and they show his care for people in very difficult situations. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of your stories has become uh, bedtime stories that I tell my kids. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Just because I want them to have that sense of awe about uh, what it means to follow God. And so uh, they know a lot of the stories that you and I have shared over many meals. And so uh, it's, it's, it, builds, it builds faith. And I think it builds a sense of wonder. So, um, so oh, yeah, that's cool. it's fun to invite people into this. Yeah, it is fun to invite people into it. It is. Um, and I guess that's part of why we do what we do. Um, so you know, you asked me just before we started the broadcast, what are my top three or five? Wow. Uh, I don't know if these are the top three or top five, but they're, they come to mind all the time. So they're somehow near the top. But when I was, when I was first getting exposed to the realm of the supernatural, I've told this story elsewhere. In fact, I've, most of these I've told somewhere before. So I apologize to anyone who's heard these more than once, but <clears throat> um, I took my mom out to the vineyard. And at that time it was known as the vineyard Yorba Linda. 
and uh, it was meeting in Canyon High School, which is in Southern California, uh, just off the 91 freeway at Imperial Highway. And if you're going by on the freeway, you can just look over to your right if you're if you're headed east, and you'll see it, you know, sitting there. So we used to meet in the gymnasium, and I'd heard about this church, and I wanted to visit it, so I took my mom out there, and. As it happened, just, I don't know, divine timing or, or the devil's timing, I'm not even sure, but my mother's mouth had broken into all these sores. I mean, they were on her tongue, they were on her gums, they were on her cheeks, they were up on her, you know, roof of her mouth. And they're all, you know, like roughly the size of the end of my finger, so more or less the size of a raisin. And um, they were all, you know, dark in color, black, dark brown. And again, they were everywhere, inside her cheeks, roof of her mouth, tongue, gums, everything. And she was drooling spontaneously because they hurt. And she'd gone to the dentist and the oral surgeon and was trying to get some sort of diagnosis. You know, what do I do? And nobody really knew what to do. And so uh, she was wandering around with a, with a towel held over her mouth. She was drooling from the pain. And I, I forced her to, to come with me to the church so I thought, well, you know, if this is a church that prays for the sick, you know, maybe, maybe they'll pray for her and she's going to get healed. And she didn't really want to go for obvious reasons, right? Who wants to be seen in that condition? But we went to the church and the worship was, I remember, very, very rich. It just sort of drew you in and hypnotic would not be the right word. It would convey everything wrong, <laughs> but, it, but it had that sort of, you know, it enveloped you sort of a sense and you were just drawn into God's presence and then John preached, and I don't remember now what he preached about, but it was a it was a it was a profound sermon that was very simple, and that was kind of the way John was. He was very profound, but he was very simple. And uh, and then he said at the end, we have a room, you know, and it, from where he was standing on the platform, it was on his right. He said we have a room off to my right, your left, and uh, you can go in there if you need prayer for anything. So I said, come on, mom. She's like, no, I don't want to go. You know, no, I don't want to go. So we, we went into the room and uh, these two young women walked up to us and they asked what, what the problem was. And I said, mom, open your mouth. So, you know, she opens her mouth, and, you know, shows them the inside of her mouth. And, you know, we're all looking inside of it. She's got the towel and the drools coming out. And I mean, it's kind of a gross story, but I, I mean, it, it was just what I'm saying. And um, anyway, after a few moments of talking, wasn't very long, could have been 30 seconds, maybe a minute. Uh, they put their hands on her and they began to pray and they didn't even pray anything particular. The one girl I remember, a woman was, uh, was praying in, in a, another language. And um, in a matter of 30 seconds or a minute, maybe it was all of two minutes, but I mean, it was really very rapid. Every single sore in my mother's mouth just vanished and was gone. It was just gone. And, and she stopped crying and whimpering. And I said, mom, open your mouth. So she, you know, opened her mouth. And well, those of you that are watching on YouTube, you can see when I do that, I don't have any marks on my tongue. It's just a pink tongue. And that's what her tongue looked like. There were no more black marks or dark brown marks. And, you know, similarly on the insides of her cheeks and up on the roof of her mouth, everything was gone. And so right there in front of our eyes, we literally, all three of us watched these sores that again were roughly the size of the end of my finger so i don't know what we would call that maybe in the neighborhood of half to three quarters of an inch right. uh, they just dematerialized i don't have a better word for it 
Wow. So that was that was an all time great, and it and it significantly affected both of us. I mean, for me, it really pushed me off the deep end into the realm of the supernatural and healing. And for her, it really was something that um, she was a Christian, but let's just say she'd been away from church for a while and she worked in a very worldly environment. And I think some of that had rubbed off on her and it kind of reeled her all the way back in so that when she died, uh, just a couple of years later, uh, she was, as we would say, well and truly saved. There was absolutely no doubt about where she stood with the Lord. It just rekindled her youthful zeal for Christ. And, you know, she never looked back. And some of the things that were not so great baggage in her life, she systematically eliminated all of that. Uh, so that by the time she died, she, I was there when she, when she died, drew her last breath. She, she got uh, something that many people get as they're in their last moments of life. It's called a death rattle. And actually hers started the evening before she died. She died in the morning. Uh, and so there's this kind of horrible kind of kind of sound like that. And uh, so she'd been that way all night. And in the morning, uh, as I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't super early. So it would be a mistake to say as the sun was rising or something, but you know, fairly early in the morning, I think the death certificate reads 720 was the time of death. Um, she drew her last breath kind of <laughs> like that. And then she just never exhaled. She just got this big giant grin on her face and she was gone. Wow. So it was, it was actually a beautiful and glorious passing. And I think she, you know, she was very confident that she was going home to the Lord. And I think, you know, much of that could be traced right back to that night when the Lord met her mm. and, uh, you know, touched her tongue, touched her gums, touched her cheeks and took all that pain out of her life. So it was, it was an amazing, uh, amazing passing. So that's one of my top ones. And again, it's a very personal story to me. I'm uh, kind of so, fighting the mist in my own eyes right now. I understand. So, so was that, your, that was the introduction to the vineyard. I'd, I'd been introduced previously, but not very long before then. And it was the first time I'd observed any kind of a, you know, miracle or healing or anything like that. I got you. Wow. I've never heard that story. You haven't? No. Huh. Well, okay. So good. I'm glad I told that one. There you go. That's a new one. Yeah. So... So another you, go ahead yeah i'm just trying to put i'm i'm always fascinated by the timeline um and so that was what sort of like solidified brought you in and the rest is history yeah pretty much i mean at that time i had i uh i was still back east but once i'd seen that happen and i was pretty well sold anyway but you know as they say seeing is believing uh, once that happened, I was like, God, I got to I got to be there. I got to be part of that. If this is real, then ultimately nothing else really matters. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's a lot of things in life that are important. And I don't mean thereby to uh, denigrate any any form of earning a living or something. But it, it, it just really showed me that when we're talking about Christianity, when we're talking about the work of Jesus, when we're talking about uh you know, the teachings of the Bible, we, I mean, we use a lot of big terms much of the time nowadays. And I think a lot of it trends towards exaggeration, but 
but I, I think I, at that point, I really could see without any doubt at all that um, we're really dealing with ultimate reality. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, there's nothing that can trump that reality. And, you know, I, I had a corporate career afterward and I closed a lot of big deals and I, you know, I was there when we listed a company on the New York Stock Exchange. And I mean, I've done all those things and they had their own appeal. They were all, you know, glitzy and we could say sexy in their own way. But but there was nothing really like seeing something that you absolutely knew could not happen, happen. And then to have it happen to your own mother, or it could be anybody, any loved one or close friend, but someone that you deeply care about, there, there's just something about that. And it just, it just sealed the whole deal for me from that day forward. Sure. That's awesome. That's a good story. Yeah. That was pretty early in, that was in, that was early in the days of the vineyard too, right? I mean, like, what were they in a couple of years in or something? Yeah. I would have been about five years into it. Okay. Yeah. That, you know, the vineyard, the vineyard got kicked off uh, the vineyard Anaheim. There was, there was a vineyard movement beforehand that Ken Gullickson led and he ultimately handed the leadership of it over to John Wimber. <clears throat> so the, uh, the early years of the vineyard Anaheim, it was part of the Calvary chapel movement. And it was, I would say a kind of a standard uh, Southern California laid back, you know, teach the Bible kind of church. Uh, John and Carol had each of them had, some kind of some sort of charismatic experience somewhere early on, but they'd become convinced by teachers and leaders that this was all of the devil and they shouldn't be involved in it. And, you know, they taught against it. And so. So John and Carol had become, you know, convinced that, uh, such things were of the devil and we ought not to be doing them. And as a result, I think on some level they were discouraging it. But the thing of it is when the, when the vineyard started as a, as a Calvary chapel, the, the leaders had been asked to leave the Friends Church movement. And, you know, Carol tells this story in different places. You can find her video on YouTube. John talks about it in some of the videos that he made that are now posted on YouTube. Of course, they were made years ago when there was no YouTube, but, but anyway, you can find them. And he tells it very humorously. But the bottom line is, uh, you know, they, they would gather to worship because, as Carol put it, they were tired of being Pharisees. They were burned out. And while they loved God, they didn't like the form of religion they had come to express. And that phrasing eventually got shortened to they were tired of religion. I'm a little leery of that exact phrasing because it makes it sound like we don't think religious religion or religious practice is good. It is good. And and we do want it. We want to advocate for it, but, uh, but the kind of religious practice that they were engaged in was ultimately not life-giving and it had become rather legalistic. And so it, it wasn't working for them. Uh, anyway, so as they began to gather and worship, the Holy Spirit began coming. And initially, it was just kind of like dew on a wet morning. You know, he would settle on everybody and you just sort of oh, kind of bask in that. 
but eventually he came more heavily and more heavily. And presently, uh, John felt led to begin teaching on healing. And so he began marching through the gospel of Matthew, teaching on the kingdom of God and teaching on healing. And it took a while, I mean, like a year or more, but anyway, eventually healing started to break out in the church. And John used to talk about the first healing that they got as a church you know, they prayed for many people. And as he used to joke, you know, we caught the diseases of the people we were trying to heal. But ultimately, they, uh, you know, they got a breakthrough. And it was a man who was homesick, and he couldn't get up to go to work. And he said, I really need to go to work, or I'm going to lose my job. Pastor John, please come and pray for me. So John went over and prayed for him, and he was healed. And he got up and he went to work. And John, John reported that, when he walked out of that man's house, he had a, a stay-at-home wife, and I think, I think as I remember, it was three kids, uh, little kids. But anyway, that man had left for work, and John walked out of the house, and he had a vision of the heavens opening and something that looked like drops of honey coming down out of the, out of the heavens, out of the clouds, and falling on people, maybe on their shoulder or their head or their arm, and they were kind of like trying to you know, get it off of them. They didn't really, they didn't really want it you know, on them, but it was sticky and they couldn't get it off. And the Lord spoke to John and he said, John never despised my mercy. Mm. And that was really the beginning of the great floodgate of healing that opened up in the vineyard movement. And John ultimately became known, you know, globally as a, as a man with a powerful healing ministry. And he certainly did have one, but the funny thing was what was really different about John. And I mean, I try to, I try to do my best to model him in this way, although I'm, I'm nowhere near his stature or caliber. Um, John did not want to be the guy with the healing ministry so that everybody was forced to come to him. John wanted to give it away. And so he took it to the motto of, of the vineyard, equipping the saints. And it comes from Ephesians 4.11, which, you know, everybody wants to talk about apostles and prophets and then evangelists and pastors and teachers. But these days, all the emphasis in renewal Christianity is on apostles and prophets, apostles and prophets. John wasn't so worried about the offices. He was worried on equipping the saints. So he said, no matter what role you may have and no matter what title someone may give you, if you're a leader in the body of Christ, your role is to model these things and to give them away to equip the saints unto works of service so that the church would be, you know, fit for every good deed. And so he really made it his mission to train the saints to function in healing. And this is why the vineyard became known as a healing church, because we had first dozens and later hundreds of people who knew how to pray for the sick, uh, cast out demons, engage in inner healing prayer. And it was really effective. And when John first took a team with him uh, overseas, he went to England and he brought, as I remember, it was 20 young adults. And uh, he didn't really tell them they were coming. So when they showed up, the, the people in England were like, uh, we, we can't afford all these people. He said, no, no, they paid their own way. We're like, well, well but we, we can't afford the hotels either. No, don't worry about that. They're paying their own hotel. And they said, well, you know, but they're young. We don't really, because at the time, the average age of the church was under 25 we don't really want all these young people, you know, we want you. And John said, you don't understand. This is my ministry right here. If, if you don't want them, you don't want me. And so the, the idea that, you know, this is all of us bound together in this body ministry, it, it was really, it was really who John was. And so 
you know, you'd ask me about a green room story. That would be a green room story, except it didn't come out of the green room. It came out of, you know, as I like to say, the, the harvest fields of the world. And so, you know, there were tremendous things that came out of those meetings uh, in England. And then a year later, the team went to South Africa. It was some other people as well. It wasn't identical people. But uh, and so, you know, there were great moves of God that broke out in the United Kingdom and in uh, South Africa. This would have been about 1980. So we're, you know, around about 40 years ago. South Africa was 81. That was 40 years ago. And, uh, you know, the people that were alive then and that were present in those meetings, Many of them are vineyard pastors today in South Africa, and they are still talking about those meetings and how powerful they were. And, you know, after a while, things kind of quieted down. But recently, there's been a resurgence. Uh, Brian Blount, who was on this show recently, um, he has been part of rekindling that in South Africa. So um, anyway, but, you know, one of the things that's interesting about all of that is as we as we describe this this dynamic, um, one of the people who was really powerfully touched, very powerfully touched in those English meetings was a man named Nicky Gumbel, who went on ultimately to become the leader of an Anglican church in central London. And the name of that church uh, is Holy Trinity Brompton. Of course, that means it's in the district of Brompton. And the name of the church is Holy Trinity, which is a very Anglican sounding name. Um, but you know, during those meetings, uh, Nikki was given a powerful prophetic word. Lonnie Frisbee was on that team. And Lonnie Frisbee was part of the administration of that word. He wasn't the only member. John, John was part of that. And there were a couple of other members of the team. But anyway, they kind of tag team Nikki. And the Holy Spirit fell on him very powerfully. And at the time, he was what they call a city banker, which an American would say an investment banker. So, you know, he, he underwrote securities and bought and sold companies and all of that kind of thing. He wasn't just he wasn't just somebody who lent money like a conventional banker. And uh, he, he was really pulled out of all of that, ultimately into the ministry. And Justin Welby, who is, I believe, at this moment, still the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, he was also impacted in a similar way. And Justin Welby was at the time, he's older, but he was at the time uh, a city banker. And so there was this you know, gigantic impact. And today it remains true that nearly every Anglican church in the UK that has any life in it at all, that is in any way celebrating the life and death and resurrection of Jesus in a, in a vibrant and meaningful way, um, that's planting churches, that's winning people to Christ, that has that sort of dynamic going on in it, nearly every single one was impacted ultimately by either that 1980 trip to England or the subsequent trips, because there were some in the years that followed. Uh, we went to, there was a trip in 82, uh, in 85, John went to Brighton, and then he went up to the kind of the north central part of England, went to Harrogate. Uh, he was in Wales. He ultimately went to Northern Ireland as well as to Dublin. He ministered in Scotland. And so today they still say in the UK that the, you know, really alive switched on churches have been Wimberized. And, you know, there's a, there's a saying in the Bible, though they are dead, they are still speaking. Well, John Wimber died in 1997. So that's 24 years ago. It's coming up on the 24th anniversary of his death in November. So we're, we're basically at 24 years right now. Uh, but all of those Wimberized churches 
are the ones that are still carrying the flame. That's not to say there aren't believers in some of the other churches, but there's a certain kind of style to a conventional British Anglican church or UK-based Anglican church. Uh, in Ireland, it's known as the Church of Ireland, and in Scotland, it's you know it's Church of Scotland, but um, or Church of Wales, excuse me. Church of Scotland is actually a, a different denomination, but anyway, you get the idea. There's kind of a national church identity, but many of them are very predictable and staid. And so, you know, where you find any sort of vibrant life, more than likely it's in a church that was Wimberized. Now you were talking about Lonnie Frisbee being over there. And I know that you mentioned that you had um, pretty interesting, uh, I mean, you and he kind of worked together for a little bit, right? Yeah, for about a year, I traveled with him just trying to understand who he was and what he did. He was a very unusual guy he, you know he'd been saved out of the hippie movement and there, there was just recently three volumes published on him that you can pretty readily find on amazon or barnesandnoble.com and um i wrote the forward to the third book but lonnie was lonnie was a prophet but he wasn't a prophet of the kind that we see very often in in today's world he was a prophet of another kind and I, I said in the foreword that Lonnie was a prophet of power. And I said, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of prophets. Some dream dreams, some interpret them. Some are more apparently preachers. Some are subject to visions or angelic visitations. And it's not that Lonnie didn't have all of those things, but I think most prophets, there's a particular flavor to them, a kind of a distinctive air about them. And Lonnie had you know, this, this prophet of power thing. And so everywhere he would go, the Holy Spirit would break out in these great, powerful moves that would often, I mean, seize people. We see in the book of First Samuel, where Samuel gives a word to Saul, he says, when you get near Rachel's tomb and you get near the great well of Seku, you'll see a company of prophets coming down from the high place, and then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power, and you will be changed into a new man, and you will prophesy. And it happened that when Saul got near that place, this in fact occurred. And so, you know, he, he fell down and he prophesied. And so people said, is Saul also numbered among the prophets? And a similar kind of thing happens to David, uh, who becomes King David in 1 Samuel 16, when Samuel visits Jesse's house. Lonnie had something like that on his life, which is why, you know, he could give a word about evangelism to a Nicky Gumbel and Nikki Gumbel would go on to start something known as Alpha, through which something like 30 million people have come to the Lord around the world. But Alpha was not led by a, a Billy Graham kind of figure. It was something that was, you know, using gatherings of dinners and a study guide that Nikki wrote and uh, opening the scriptures together. And then they have a weekend away that's their Holy Spirit weekend where people who have just come into the faith, maybe they get baptized in the spirit or they get some ministry to clean some things out of their life. But but Nikki had a very different model for it. And again, it was a body empowering sort of move. And Alpha is you know well known around the world to this day. A friend of mine's on their board and uh, it's still bearing fruit. Lonnie had that ability to kind of summon that thing out of people, and the Spirit of God would fall with great power on the people who are being spoken with or to, and, 
you know, that would launch them into these very powerful ministries. Justin Welby, it took him a while to get around to where he is today, but, you know, he started out as a city banker. So the first thing he had to do was not be that. And then he had to go to seminary because in the Anglican church, that's a thing. And, you know, then he was a parish priest for a while and then he became a bishop and of course, ultimately became the Archbishop of Canterbury. So, you know, I watched that kind of dynamic with, through Lonnie in a number of places. He, uh, you know, he, he gave an extremely powerful word to uh, one of the guys that was in the vineyard movement early on named Blaine Cook. Many people don't know him anymore, but at one time he was as visible as John Wimber was. And today he does a lot of work alongside of Randy Clark, particularly in Brazil. Um, but, you know, Blaine was at a meeting and Lonnie gave him a word about how he was going to minister in, in a new dimension. And let me tell you, he did. And, you know, everybody knew who Blaine was. And I think, you know, I, I really believe something came from that night when Lonnie played, prayed for Blaine. And there were quite a few of us that were part of that early time in the vineyard. Generally, we were all young adults. Uh, for sure, we were under 30. A lot of us were under 25 or 27. Of course, with each passing year, the age moves up. But, um, And I think that was part of what was the grace that was on that group of people, too, is they'd all somehow come under something of that. And John used to say these things are better caught than taught. Another way of saying it is it's contagious. And so that contagion really kind of inflamed and caught on. And, and some of the uh, young adults that were, and when I say young adults, I don't mean like high school age. These were mostly like early 20s. Um, there might have been a few high schoolers, but, but mostly they would have been college age and above. Uh, but many of them, um, they, they caught something too. And so there were quite a few of those young guys and a few of the young women as well who could move in that same kind of power that Lonnie could. And so let me tell you, when you, when you walked into a room and you had 10 of those people, stand by. You never seen anything like that. And, wow. and I'll tell you, in all the renewal meetings I've been to, and I went to Toronto and I've been to Drownsville, and I'm not trying to throw any of them under the bus. They were all moves of God and praise God for them. But, you know, a lot of times I'd come back from those things and people say to me, well, well what'd you think? And I'd go, that yeah, was really good. They said, well, like, you know, tell me something. I go, you know, I don't mean any disrespect, but, but what we had in the earliest years of the vineyard, it was actually better and it was actually more powerful. And people don't really, they can't process it because they've never seen that. But, you know, we have these stories in the Bible that are kind of that way. We don't have a lot of them, but we have a few of them. And that was something that Lonnie was really about. And so, you know, when he, when he ultimately parted ways with John, you know, the, many people wanted to use Lonnie. I was in a movie that was made about his life maybe 10 years ago or 15 years ago. I don't remember now when it was made. Uh, but it, it, I think it was called uh, The Life and Times of the Hippie Preacher. So my friend Daryl Ballman and I, Daryl's now with the Lord, but Daryl and I uh, agreed to be interviewed for that movie. And I made the comment in that interview that um, a lot of people wanted to use Lonnie. You know, people, people become very enamored of spiritual power when they see it and they, they wanted to draw things from him. And Lonnie used to say, not always in a nice way, it was kind of acidic that he felt like he was the monkey with the tin cup, the organ grinder would, you know, grind the organ and he would run around and collect all the money from all the standard standards by. And he didn't like being treated like a monkey. And, you know, Lonnie was often subject to a lot of ridicule and um, I don't know what you want to say, dishonor uh, 
in part because he was uh, he was different. I mean, he looked like a hippie. Sometimes he's still dressed in like a buckskin cape with a picture of Jesus that he had personally hand painted on the on the buckskin in acrylic paint. I don't, I don't know where that cape is today, but uh, and sometimes when ministry time would get going, he would take off that cape and roll it up, and then he would hit people with it. And as he not hard, but I mean, he you know hit hit them with it. It was flexible, right? Because it was buckskin. As, as it would hit people, they would fall out under the power of God. And that's just, that's just not normal ministry style or technique. And some would, of course, try to mimic that and with mixed results. Those who had somehow caught some of that, it would work for them. And those who had not, well, it didn't work for them. So then it just looked stupid. And so there was all this kind of criticism and ridicule and everything else that came in. And you know, Lonnie bore a lot of that same sort of abuse and, and criticism, but, but there was no arguing with the effect, you know, he'd had an encounter out in a, a Canyon in the mountains East of Los Angeles. As you, as you head out of LA on interstate 10, you ultimately roll through Palm Springs. And to the one side on, as you're on the freeway is Mount San Gregorio, which is where big bear Lake is. And on the other side is Mount San Jacinto, which is where, uh, the town of Idlewild is. And both of these peaks are over 14,000 feet. So in the winter, even though it might be 90 degrees down on the desert floor, you often have snow up on those mountain peaks. It reminds me a lot of Santiago de Chile, where same sort of dynamic, you know, in the valley where the city is, it is what it is. But up on the mountains, it might be all white snow caps. So anyway, Lonnie had gone out to uh, the mountain where San, where San Jacinto is the uh, San Jacinto, if we say it in proper Spanish is the is the highest peak and that's the one on the south side of interstate 10 as you're headed east and uh and the town of uh, idlewild is up there and it, you know for years it's been decades it's been a place where you know people go and they'll do a day trip or take a weekend away and they'll go hiking on a trail and oh there's what you'd expect kind of ice cream shops and you know places to get coffee and so forth and uh it's kind of a sleepy little town but up up in the mountain there there's this one canyon known as Taquiz Canyon, and there's a peak above it called Taquiz Peak, T-A-H-Q-U-I-T-Z, for those who wonder how to spell it. And so Lonnie wandered into Taquiz Canyon one day, and in, in the canyon, the walls are about 10 stories high, so about 100 feet high, and it's a box canyon. There's only one way in and one way out. And uh, Lonnie was kind of early in his God experience. So he walked into the, into the canyon, and he, he said, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. But he, I mean, I'm kind of muting my voice, but trying to give you some sense of the intensity of it. And all of a sudden, the, the, the entire canyon filled up with multicolored layers of light. And it was kind of shimmering and waving, you know. And so he's caught in this visitation of, you know, visionary thing of, of color and light in some ways it sounds like what ezekiel saw and right. so he stripped off all of his clothes and he laid down on the desert floor there in taquiz canyon and for three days he was in a trance in the nude on the floor in taquiz canyon just below mount san jacinto creek uh, peak and after three days he you know kind of came out of it out of his trance and he put on all of his clothes and he returned to Los Angeles. And the year following that, he led 80,000 people to Christ. Holy smokes. Yeah. 
80,000 people in a year. 80,000 in a year. And it kept on going. That was just the first year of it. And so, you know, he went to South Africa. He went to South America. He was very fruitful in Brazil. He was very fruitful in, in South Africa. He went elsewhere, but those were two of his big, big, big harvest fields. And he was gone uh, overseas for months and months and months at a time. And he led youth crusades and rallies. And I mean, the power of God just fell. And, you know, there are people alive who remember those meetings. You can find them. A lot of them, at least in South Africa, are in vineyard churches. They remember Lonnie coming through. So he was a he was a prophet of power. He was an evangelist. And he had also himself, many people don't know this, he'd been under the tutelage of Catherine Kuhlman in his youth. And if you look up the Catherine Kuhlman show again on YouTube, YouTube didn't exist when she was broadcasting, but people have taken the, you know, the uh, films, the videos that were shot and they've posted them there. So if you want to watch Catherine Kuhlman and see Lonnie, you'll see him as, I mean, he he looks like a teenager. He might've been actually, he's a fresh faced young kid. And he is so excited as he's sitting there watching everything. He's got, you know, the curly Brown hair and kind of the, the fro type look and, and it, uh, some of the shows, you know, she would ask him to speak or something. Well, he caught something from Catherine Kuhlman. And anyone who knows Catherine's ministry knows that, you know, she would she would get up and she would say, oh, the Holy Spirit is moving. And, you know, she would have a big crowd at maybe the Shrine Auditorium. So all these people would be gathered. She'd say, right back there, there's a man. You have a blue suit on. God is touching you. And bam, you know, he'd get healed. So she she had some kind of a cross between a word of knowledge calling out ministry and a power ministry where bang the power would fall on people and things would happen and and Lonnie he moved in word of knowledge but maybe not as much as the power so he got at least that part of her grace and and some of the word of knowledge and so it would often be true that when he was speaking the spirit of God would begin falling in the room And, you know, sometimes he would point people out and call them up and they'd fall out on the way up or they'd get up on the stage and they'd, you know, get touched in a very overwhelming, powerful way, knocked out by the spirit on the platform. Other times they would just slump over in their chair, slide to the ground. But, you know, he carried something of that. And many of the young guys who traveled with him picked up something of that. And, you know, it just it sort of shows you. What does it really look like when there's that sort of uh, transmission of a, I don't even know what to call it, a spiritual grace or a spiritual lineage? Um, Anyway, uh, so Blaine Cook got something from Lonnie and, you know, he was, he was unbelievable in his day. He's, he's, he's in his seventies now and he's still busy, but he mostly does what he does out of the U S. So people here don't know him as well these days. Um, But um Blaine had a really powerful impact on my life. I traveled with him when I was young, uh, after I'd spent some time with Lonnie, and then I'd spent some more time with Lonnie. John had a huge impact on me. And, you know, when you see these things, you realize that, that there is something of God that goes beyond just a Bible study. I mean, I'm a huge believer in the scripture. I think everyone who knows me is aware of that. Uh, I believe in the inerrancy of scripture. I don't play fast and loose with scriptural interpretation. But there is something of that experiential side, that dynamic active power is what I call it, where something like that can, you know, come down on someone and just, I mean, the the entire situation changes. 
And Grant, you and I have been in some meetings together where you know some of those dynamics have happened. So I know that you've you've seen that in play at times. Um, but those are well, some I mean, about money. Yeah, I was even thinking. You know, you're talking about other people getting it. I mean, I think the, one of the very first public meetings I was at with you. That was the thing that struck me. It was the very thing that you described that happened with Lonnie is that you were just preaching. You weren't even really preaching. It was just more of a teaching. And like the spirit was just began falling. There's probably 500 people in the room and just all over the place. And I remember thinking like, what is this? I feel, I feel like I've seen this when I would watch the old YouTube, uh, you know, videos of old vineyard stuff. And, uh, and so it's, it's interesting that you use the same thing because I, I would I've wager to guess that you, you probably wouldn't say this, but I, I think you probably got a little bit of something uh, from that as well uh, from him from that time. Yeah, maybe sometimes. I mean, it, it's not as reliable or consistent, but when, it, when it's on, it's on and it's amazing. Yeah. So that's cool. Anyway, but that, that's a Lonnie story uh, or several of them, really. And, you know, he was just one time he was. Uh, kind of the leader of a discipleship house of guys that had come to Christ. So they have these, I mean, they're basically detoxing off of whatever drugs they've been using. And so he's kind of running this house and, and there might've been 20 guys there that night. And a bunch of other guys came up outside the house and they're mocking and throwing rocks and this sort of thing and essentially threatening them. But I, I mean, I don't, I don't really know how, how violent it might have become it's hard to be sure but anyway there was some sort of an altercation of this kind and Lonnie comes rushing out of the house and he, he kind of rushes up to the to the ringleader of this opposition group and he points at the guy and he's kind of hunched down he's not just standing up and he says you dare to mock god god mocks you and Boom, the Holy Spirit hits this guy like a lightning bolt and boom, he falls to the ground and he's out. And so all the guys that are with him, they run away. Ah, get me out of here. So presently, this this, you know, ringleader comes to comes to and Lonnie leads him to faith. And, you know, about 30 minutes later, all the guys that had been with him that had run away, they all come back. And here's the here's the ringleader now talking with Lonnie. And so the ringleader says, you know, this guy's for real. And, you know, y'all need, y'all need to repent too. And so they, the whole lot of them give their life to Christ. I mean, who has stories like that anyway? I mean, that's like something out of the Bible. Right. It's Old Testament stuff, man. That's yeah. amazing. That's cool. Well, Ken, I know uh, it's late and, uh, and I appreciate you taking some time. I will probably do more of these because I get a lot of questions and uh, people want to hear uh, these stories. People are hungry for for that kind of move uh today and you know it's it's good to stoke the hunger uh, a little bit so thanks for thanks for going down memory lane with us yeah we need a lot more stuff like this and certainly there's plenty more stories to tell the half has not been told yeah yeah well that's exciting hey uh this is going to drop and on uh, this thursday and uh then i think i'll be with you on friday uh oh that's right yeah in florida yeah so uh, you're 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 going to be hosting a meeting outside of Orlando. If anyone's around, I guess they can find that on your uh, website. 
Yeah, we did have one little kerfuffle though, so we should probably clarify it if this okay. whole thing is going out, which is that the Friday meeting is open to the public, come one, come all, but the Saturday meeting is not. So if you're coming expecting to stay through, they won't let you do that. So make your plans accordingly so you don't feel like you got misled. That's right. And maybe go, you know, you can go to Disney or something like that. Yeah. On Saturday, right. So, all right, man. Well, I'm looking forward to hanging out with you and uh, we'll have another one of these uh, next week and uh, we'll be back then. Thanks so much for taking time, Ken. Uh, we really appreciate it. So, uh, so thank you. And we look forward for you guys to tune in uh, each week. Be sure to download, uh, subscribe and share. Uh, you can also rate these, uh, these as well. And that helps get the word out uh, too. So thank you guys so much. We'll see you very soon. Let me add just one thing before you go, Grant. Um, you know, everyone's aware of the whole deplatforming phenomenon. It, it, it touched us lightly late in 2020, but, but mostly Orbis Ministries has been spared all of that. But I would like to make an appeal in addition to subscribing and sharing, which we definitely would like you to do with this podcast. I'd really ask you to write to us at uh, info at orbisministries.org. That's O-R-B-I-S, orbisministries.org. Info at orbisministries.org. Because we'd really like to have your email address. We promise we won't spam you and solicit you and all that. But we do want to be able to stay in touch with people in the event that we should be deplatformed. And the, the one thing they cannot take away from us is our email list. So we promise to be responsible with your email, but please write to us. Let us know you heard the podcast um, and we'll put you in our uh, database. The only thing you'll get from us is our monthly prayer letter. And if you don't want to get the prayer letter, you can unsubscribe to that. Um, but, but again, we don't solicit for you know money and kind of work you all the time and have three specials of the week and all that kind of stuff. So uh, please email us and, and let, us, uh, let us stay in touch with you should the unquestionable happen. There you <laughs> go. All right. Well, thanks so much. Be sure to do that. And we'll see you guys right back here next time. God is Not a Theory is a podcast of Orbis Ministries. For more information about Orbis Ministries, go to orbisministries.org. If you have questions you'd like to have Ken answer on the podcast, please send us an email to podcast at orbisministries.org. Thanks for listening.